this very special series of Start Somewhere for COP26, the climate emergency. And today I'm so overjoyed to be joined by a very special guest who is Lola Kavnau, who is from the Mayakechi in Guatemala. Buenos dias, Lola. Hola, buenos dias. ¿Cómo está? Muy bien, gracias. Now, Lola doesn't speak English, or well, she speaks some English, but she's a little shy. So we have the lovely Anita with us, who is going to help translate for the questions. Hi, Anita. Hi, Sara. I'm happy to be here. My name is Anita Tsek, and I'm Maya Yucatec from Belize. And I'm the program officer for Indigenous Peoples and Conservation at IUCN. And Lola's organization is a member, Indigenous Peoples Organization member of IUCN. So I give them technical support. And as you can see, interpretation support wherever needed um, here at COP26. And it's wonderful to have you with us. And it was so important that we have an Indigenous voice in this um, Start Summer podcast series. So thank you so much for joining us and, and for traveling all the way from Guatemala to, to, to be here this, this time. So um, Lola, I'd love you to begin uh, this podcast by telling us about where you grew up and, 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 and where your people live in, in Guatemala. Tell us about the, the nature of the land and your people. Muchísimas gracias. Uh, My name is Lola Capnal. I'm from Guatemala, from the Alta Verapaz region. And I want to share with you that my parents are Kekchi peoples and they were victims of the armed conflict in Guatemala. So it's important to share that because that becomes part of my background and part of where I come from and, and how um, I will explain how the Kekchi people live during that context. Um, I come from a big family. We are 14 children and I am the fourth one. Um, so that's a big family. And I come from a community that the name is Rio Frio. Rio Frio. It means cold river. My father was working in a, what we call a finca in Guatemala. It's like one of these large plantations. Um, and my mother was a stay-at-home mother taking care of the kids and raising the family. Um, but because my family was uh, so large, I preferred to spend time with my grandparents. So I would spend a lot of time by my grandparents on my mom's side. So on my father's side, um, he grew up essentially without a family because, as she mentioned in the beginning, uh, they suffered from due to the armed conflict. So my father uh, lost his family. He lost his parents. He lost his brothers and sisters. Um, his family lost their land, lost their territories during the armed conflict. And so he had to flee. As a, as a young boy, he had to flee from that region. So while my father was working in the plantations, um, sometimes we used to work with him also. Uh, but most of the time, my brothers and I would be working, collecting, harvesting the rice, the beans, and the corn 
for our family so that our family would have food. So this happened because in the plantation where my father lived and worked, he didn't get a good salary. He, it was a meager salary, a meager payment that he used to get. So because of that, my mom was responsible for raising the family, but also for the agriculture part of the production part of, of, of the sustenance for the family. And so she would be planting and my brothers and I would be doing the harvesting mm-hmm. with her. So when I was around nine years old, um, we, we moved. We changed plant, plantation, essentially. Uh, my father moved from, uh, to a new area that was called Rio Grande, Big River, because he thought they were going to pay him a little bit more there. So he moved, and we moved with him. And when we got to that area, uh, we realized that we could have a livelihood through um, communal fishing, like mm. local fishing. Mm. So at this plantation where my father worked, uh, every day my sister and I would have to take lunch for him. Uh, we would have to walk under the jungle and reach the plantation and take his food. And, and we didn't know anything about school. Uh, there was no school where we were living and kids didn't go to school during that time. But then um, the wife of the administrator of that plantation where my father was working, she, she told me one day that she would like to teach me to read and write. So I accepted the proposal of the administrator's wife and I accepted to go twice a week to learn to read and write. And then uh, sometime after, the people who work in the plantation accepted to, for a little house to be built and kids to come to school. Uh, so that's how children of the workers in the plantation started to come to school. Wow. And when I was 12, 12 12 years old, I told my parents, I'm leaving home. I'm wow. going to, go to school. I'm going to continue my schooling. And I told them, I'm leaving and I will go work to be able to pay for my schooling because I knew that they couldn't pay for it. Yeah. So at 12 years old, I left home. And my parents had a friend in another department of the country. And they sent me there and I went. But I went mostly to work. So I would work most days, most mornings. And after working, I would be able to go to school. Um, and that's how I started working as a fisherwoman uh, in fishing. Yeah. So when she had started school, they put her in grade four. And when she finished grade four, I then knew that I had to continue. But I didn't have any money um, to, to continue schooling. And I did manage to go to secondary school, working and paying for it. And I couldn't go ahead more than that because um, I knew I had to go back home. I had to work and help my family. So I finished secondary school and I had saved a little bit of money. So I bought some fishing nets. And I went back to my community. I went back to where my parents were living and my brothers and sisters were living. And I started to fish by myself. So I started fishing 
um, to help my family. I also went back home because my mom was not happy with me. Because mm-hmm. in my culture, girls don't leave home. And so my mom was unhappy that I had left. So I came back and I started my own thing. I started working for myself and to support my family uh, as a fisherwoman in the sea with nets, fishing nets. When I went back, then my parents moved to another place where there was school available for my siblings. During that time, uh, when I started fishing and I started buying like exercise books and pencils and pens for my siblings so that they would have that to go to school. And, and, I, and during those days, I used to fish and there was a lot of fish during those days. I, I, I used to fish a lot. Yes. Some of my um, siblings finished their primary school education, some did not. Because my mom used to fight a lot with us because we were mostly girls. And she used to fight with me because I was helping them to go to school. And she used to fight with them because they were going to school. Because in our culture, um, during that time in my community, girls were not supposed to go to school. Um, And my mother wanted me to dedicate myself more to agriculture, to producing the food at home and also to the kitchen to mm. take care of my siblings, but by cooking and providing food for the family. How did that make Lola feel? Bueno, a veces me sentía so, muy triste. <laughs> I used to feel angry sometimes and sometimes sad because what my family wanted, what my mother wanted is, is that I get a man. Get yeah. a man and, and go with a man or marry a man or join together with a man. And let that man take care of me. Let him provide for me. And and I didn't do it. So they started marrying my sisters off. Oh, my goodness. Up to the point where a guy came to my house to ask for me. Because that's that's how it was traditionally. The man will come to our house and say, I'm interested in Lola and I want to marry Lola. And my parents agreed to it without... Me knowing no. me wanting. And when I found out that they had agreed to that, I ran away from home. Wow. Lola, you're amazing. What, what, what an extraordinary, I mean, what courage. Entonces, en ese momento, I cried a lot. When I left home, I cried a lot. I was very sad, but at the same time, angry and felt strong. And I looked for my friends and they comforted me. And for four years, I left home. And after that time, when I spoke to my mom again, after those four years, I told her that she had married off my sisters, my younger sisters and I, but she was not going to do it with me. And I, I didn't want that. I didn't want to marry. I didn't want to have children. I didn't want to be the victim of a man, of a person that I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I didn't want that for my life. And I told my mom she was not going to do it with me. And even up to today, to this day, I remind her of that and how she treated me. And she always says that I was like a devil. 
that uh, says that Lola, you are a diabla. You, you you're like a demon. You know, um, that's how I was treated for Gosh. for standing up. Well, thank you for telling us your incredibly brave and courageous story, and 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 thank you for sharing that because there are so many you know, girls and women in the same position. So thank you for sharing that with us, Lola. That's that's very, very kind. And I mean, Lola, you're obviously like a, like a, I wouldn't call you a devil, but I would call you a firebrand, like a strong, amazing, assertive woman. So tell us like, you know, how you're, you're living, your, 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 your purpose, like why you're here at COP26 you know, what you became interested in and like why you're fighting, you know, to halt climate change and what you're fighting for in your, in your lands. When my mother treated me and told me what she told me and the way she um, treated me for, for not wanting to marry, I didn't blame her. I didn't blame her because she didn't know better. Right. She lived exactly that same way. So that was the only way she knew. Mm-hmm. And, and I love her. I adore her very much. But I realized that, that, that she didn't know better. And this is why she treated me the way she treated me. When she scolded me and, and, and essentially told me I wanted to go about and do my life and do as I wish and, and probably even become a prostitute because that's how they saw it in those days. When, when she told me that, then I said to her, okay, I'm going to leave your house. I'm going to go away for four years and I'm going to go come back. And maybe when I come back, I will bring a granddaughter for you. Maybe then you will have a reason to talk to me the way you're talking to me now. So I did that. I went away for four years. And when I came back, I came back pregnant. Wow. <laughs> Not because I was fooling around and messing around and making a mess of my life. I came back pregnant because I chose to have a child as a single mother. I chose to have a child with me, for me, by myself. Wow. Uh, I mean, that, I that's just that. extraordinary. So when I came back, after four years pregnant, my mom asked me, did you get married? I said, no. Where is the father of this child? Who, who, who is he? Where is he? And I said, he doesn't exist because I choose that. I choose that. I don't want him in my This is what I choose. This is my choice. And I came back after four years because, mom, you said I will go around and fool around and I will get pregnant and come back with a child. So, yes, I am back with a child because it's my choice. And so all of this has given me the strength to live my life how I choose my life. My father, he never railed up to me. He never uh, accused me of anything. When I came back pregnant, my father, my father said to me, my dear daughter, your mother is your mother. She will have her points and her position, but I am your father. And I've never accused you of anything. So this is your house. You will stay here. You can stay here if you choose to. And that child, that baby, we will raise that child here. Wow. 
I will take responsibility and we will help you to raise that child. Later, you can go back to work, but now we will take care of that child. I went back to, to the community where my parents were living in Livingston because the church, the parish, had offered me a job as a teacher in a primary school. And that's why I went back. So, yes, I was home, but I didn't stay at my parents. I moved into a community that was next to their community. So close enough, but not with them. And I was teaching. And what I realized is that the women in that community only knew one language, which was their indigenous language, and they didn't know to read and write. And in that same parish, they were also offering to train people who wanted to become like health workers. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went to train as a health worker and I started to travel. They started to send me to other parts of Guatemala to get trained as a health worker. And that's how I started traveling. Then the same priest in that parish saw my abilities. He saw my capacity. He saw that I had gone to school and he saw that I had the drive. So he told me, um, Lola, we don't want you to be a teacher anymore. We want you to be an interpreter for the nuns who are coming to the community to work because they couldn't communicate with the people. Mm. So we want you to be their interpreter. Along with the nuns from the parish, we started visiting every single Kekchi community in the department of Livingston, through the jungle, through the forest, through the rivers, every single community we visited. And I was their interpreter. Wow. That is what helped me to, to notice, to realize that in every single community that I went, none of them had a school. Wow. In none of those communities, the children know to read and write. And more so the girls, they couldn't read and write. And I realized this was an issue. Yes. Um, and I also noticed that from very young, just like me, kids used to go to fields to work with, with their parents. And there were a lot of families that were large families, extended families, large numbers of families. And also I saw high incidence of very young girls, little girls, having children. Oh, no. And so I decided to start working with the parish and looking for opportunities to build schools. And because I, I, I thought I needed to do something to, to find opportunities for these women to start learning to read and write. So I started doing that work, but then I had to stop because I had my baby. And, and she was very small and I needed to take care of her. But I always had that, that worry in me. Um, that why? Why are my people like in this situation where there's no school, where the access to the equation is, is so low or almost absent? And young girls especially didn't have an option and an and, and opportunity for education and Young girls were having babies, and, and, and that always bothered me. Mm -hmm. And so one day, um, when I was at home, a white woman came to my community. Uh, she was a gringa, she says. And a gringa, in, 
in Latin America, anyone who is white, you come there and they'll call you gringa or gringo, which is a reference to people from the United States. Yeah. So she says, um, this gringa came to my community and I noticed she was working with an association that was named, is named Akhtenamit. This woman didn't come to my house looking for me. This woman was lost in my community and by the strike of a lock, maybe, she arrived at my house and was asking <laughs> for instructions and we started to talk and I asked her, and who are you? What are you doing in my community? And she explained to me that she's working at Akhtenamit, this new, new association uh, that has been established in a community that's called Baralampara. And we're looking at socioeconomic livelihoods and alternatives for Kekchi people in this region. And I really am looking for someone to work with me. Um, so would you be willing? Would you want to come and work with me, Lola? And then Lola said to her, but I have a, a young baby, a, a small child. What am I going to do with her? And she said, well, you can bring your child. Come, bring your child with you and, and, and work with us. And that's how comes I started working at Asociación Actenamit in 1993. Wow. Asociación Actenamit is an indigenous school, a Kekchi Maya school for children, for indigenous youth in the Livingston area in Guatemala. And so that's how my work started with building the capacity and empowering Kepchi women. I went back to visit all the Kepchi communities, the mass communities that I had been, that I had visit, visited before. And I started working with the women and looking what for socioeconomic alternatives for them and, and talking to them. And I said, this is my opportunity to to, to work on what I've always wanted to work with women. But, you know, it, it, was, it was strange to me because I invited all the women and always seeked out for them. But they didn't want to come by themselves. They wanted their husbands to come with them. Interesting. So she's, uh, if the women will come to the trainings and the empowerment sessions and capacity building and... You want to come with them as her husband, as the husbands. Um, that's fine, but you cannot come into the capacity building sessions for women. I will look for jobs for you because at that time, Akhtenamit um, was starting to build the classrooms and the health center and the kitchen area, and they were starting to build the infrastructure for the school, and so. Then that means she got jobs for the men to do the construction and the, while the women were in empowerment sessions. So that's how my work began as a woman leader in my community through education because through all my life, that was key. Like I always was looking for education and I always saw that education is what was lacking in the community access to education opportunities for girls and women. And so when Steve Dudenhofer, who is the uh, lead technical advisor of Akhtenamit, and who was the founder of Akhtenamit, um, came to me and asking, 
and he started to talk about education and he started to ask me like what what do i think are the key areas we should focus on i always told him education and health for young girls and women those are key areas where my people needed uh, work to be done and and of course those are the key areas because with educated and empowered women we can solve the climate crisis and also achieve the, the 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 sustainable development goals because those really are all about inclusion and empowerment of women and and when we do that we can change the world for the better entonces sí exactamente entonces Yes, I understand that. And I know that those are the areas where um, young girls and women need the most empowerment. And I started going to the university. Once after Nanamit started, I started going to university. I, I focused my work on education and empowerment of women and girls because I know that these are key elements that will um, allow women and girls to be able to make decisions and, and, and to be able to be in these spaces of power. Um, that, that is key. We, we cannot have transformation without an education. And that is why I have dedicated my life to that. This is absolutely amazing. I, 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 you know, thank you. I mean, Lola, thank you for what you're doing. It's quite extraordinary. And at this COP, um, you know, tell us about what, what you've been doing here in, in the last, you know, days. And, 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 and have you been talking about, about this role of women to, to you know, are they listening? <laughs> yes, thank you. I have been at this COP. Um, I also participate, besides the Climate Change COP, I also participate in the CBD COP. And, and when I come to these spaces, I can speak with ownership. I can speak with ownership on behalf of my people because I am indigenous. I come from an indigenous community. I know the issues. I know the problems. I know the challenges that we are having um, regarding the issues being discussed here. Um, and so I can speak with, with ownership of, of what's going on. And... I have been emphasizing on education and access to education because without education, we cannot reach these spaces. And if we do reach, we won't have a voice if we don't have education and empowerment. I have been here for a few days now and I'm representing International Indigenous Forum on Biodiversity and the Indigenous Women's Network on Biodiversity diversity for Latin America and the Caribbean. That's who I represent here. And in these spaces, we are hearing that they're talking about these big financing promises um, at COP26. But what we are saying as indigenous peoples is, okay, you're talking about this, but we're interested in knowing how will this be brought to the ground? Because to develop any plans, to define priorities, to design programs that will come to indigenous peoples, we must be at the forefront. Especially because there have been so many promises at this COP, we are making the call that these promises have to be defined to us and implemented to us. 
because our experience is that these promises are made in these global spaces, but then when it comes to the national space, we don't have access to the resources. There may be promises out here in the global space, and if these are channeled through the national governments, then again, indigenous peoples are excluded because many national governments are not friends of indigenous peoples, are not interested in indigenous peoples, don't want to support indigenous peoples. So we are making that voice heard here. And thank you so much for doing that. And and really, I'm sorry, because we're, we, we're running a little short on time, but, you know, really, it's like, what can the people who are listening to this podcast do to help you to help that happen? What can they do to help you start somewhere? How, how can people like me help you and help, help what you want to achieve and support, the, you know, to ensure that these promises land and actually are followed through and to support Indigenous people? What can we do? No, no posibilitan la accesibilidad de esos fondos para las Well, what I've been saying here, and what I told the panelists in the panel that I was invited earlier to speak on, on nature-based solutions, I told them, what kind of doll are you talking about? What, what is this? strange thing you're talking about because for indigenous people we speak of community-based solutions or solutions from nature but with people we don't separate these issues um you know because you you cannot solve the the issues of nature without looking at the issues of people you cannot solve the problems that nature have without solving the problems of the young people the youth the women and the issues that the communities are living. So, so what exactly are you people talking about? Um, and what I tell them is that we need support to ensure that whatever mechanism they will use to implement these promises come directly to us indigenous peoples. We don't want any more intermediaries, no more middleman or middlewoman. We want the support to come directly to us. And that is how you can help us to make sure our voices on these requests and demand be heard. By yes. Amplifying our voice, by making them known to the world that we are saying, good, you have these promises, these financing promises, then amplify our voices where we are saying we want these funds directly to come to our communities and organizations, like organizations like Aptenamit who are working on the ground with our people. So that's how you can help, by amplifying our voices. And with, with the greatest of pleasure. I mean, I, I, I truly believe, you know, that, uh, you know, the indigenous peoples from all over the world are, are the guardians of, of, of nature. And I truly believe that we are all one. There is no difference between us and nature. We, we forget that, you know, I think us, us gringos and gringas <laughs> have, have forgotten that we are, we are part of nature. It's, you know, we don't control it. And, and I'm so thankful to you for bringing your voice for, for being here. And, you know, Lola, if people want to find out more about your organization, and your social media handles and really learn more and share your voice. How do they do that? Nosotros como institución 
eh, tenemos una página web que es so you can find Aktenamit, which is the only Kekchi Maya uh, school for indigenous youth, girls and boys uh, in Guatemala. And if you want to support, for example, through scholarships for young girls, um, please know that it, it's, it's, it's quite cheap for people who can afford it. Um, for example, it's only 380 US dollars per year for you to support uh, Maya girls to have access to education. Wow. And you can do that by visiting www.aktenamit.org. Um, so they are always fundraising, um, common people, me, you, anyone who has a affordable job can uh, donate funds that will then guarantee that a Maya Kekchi girl or boy will have access to education through Akhenamit. Um, also you should know that they also have a job placement program. So once you graduate from Akhenamit, they also have a team of professionals helping to look for jobs where they place these youth. And Akhenamit has the highest success rate in Guatemala, 98% success rate of job placement. So with one donation of 380 US dollars per year for four years, you will be changing positively and hugely positively impacting the life of a Maya Kekchi boy or girl. That's by ensuring that they have access to an education that is culturally appropriate to them. So if anyone wants to support, um, go to the website, you see the information and the, also you have the contacts for Lola. Um, they, are, they are also on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. You can always find it. And we'll publish those handles. I, so sadly, we're, we're bringing this to a close, but Lola, my goodness, thank you for everything that you're doing. What an amazing, courageous, like heroine and trailblazer you are. Thank you, thank you for your determination and your courage and your inspiration. It's been very humbling for me to talk to you. And I, I, and I know my listeners and our listeners will feel the same. Thank you. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. Thank you.